Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host in Minneapolis, Charlie McCarran, and this show is my way of sharing composing and songwriting advice from all sorts of creative people. You can find every episode for free at ComposerQuest.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. Today's guest is a fellow Minnesotan who reached out to me after I posted about making chiptune music. Ben Burns has been working on a lot of chiptune music lately. He was challenged to write soundtracks for 12 games in 12 weeks, and in this episode we get to hear what he learned from that. Ben also shares his tips on creativity, marketing, and learning music theory. If you missed it, I just announced our new quest in the last episode. The challenge is to write an opera, aria, or art song. For more details, go to composerquest.com quest13. Now let's get on to my talk with Ben Burns. And he mentions a lot of resources, so I'll have links to all of them in the show notes at composerquest.com ben. I'll also have a list of all the music you hear in this episode. I always mix on headphones, too. Actually. Yeah, everybody hates it. Like, if you go online, people talk about it. It's like, you never mix on headphones because it just ends up sounding like crap. And it's like, no, you just have to be aware of what you're doing. Yeah. And, and then it just comes out okay. You just you just can't mix only on headphones and be like, yep, it's done. And then just ship it, you know? You yeah. Gotta, you got to listen to it everywhere. Yeah. So. And, I mean, like, if you're doing stuff for games, too. It's going to end up it's on a small speaker. Yeah, exactly. It's and, different or headphones, games. earbuds, and yeah, stuff. Because then you have to worry about not having bass because an iPhone or you know whatever device you have doesn't really have a good frequency response for the low end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, yeah. sorry. So we're blowing all well, our topics. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Ben, thanks for being Hi. here in my bedroom studio thank you for inviting me yeah so it's f- always fun meeting someone who has um, been listening to the show and um, 103 episodes now <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> yeah we were talking a little bit beforehand about like you have a regular day job now yes um but the uh video game music is becoming more a bigger and, more, yeah. and bigger part of your it is it's been a journey i guess not to sound grandiose about it but it's um i kind of fell into it initially and it's always been something that i wanted to do because i grew up listening to that kind of music like i was a huge nerd when i was a kid like i played nintendo and super nintendo and all that other stuff and um it's interesting trying to make that stuff and trying to recreate the stuff that i listened to when i was a kid it was really cool listening to your chiptune stuff you've been doing, and mm-hmm. uh, you did a challenge along with a game developer, 12 games in 12 yeah. weeks. Yeah, I yeah I think it was 12 games. Uh, it was Les Melk contacted me, and uh, he was doing a challenge for teaching himself game development, basically, and uh, he was doing a game every week and I thought that sounded impossible but he was already on game 7 when he contacted me. So, and he was just like I like the music that you write, I want to use some of it and could you make more for me? And uh I jumped at the chance because I love chiptune music and it has a lot of work but it was fun. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, I've spent the past month and a half compiling that into an album and uh I put that out last week. Three Red Hearts. Three Red Hearts. Um, yeah 
based off of like when you start a game where you have health denoted by an icon, you usually have three hearts or three little bubbles or three whatever. And also there was a one of Les Milk's games was called three it was three like hearts three hearts yeah and yeah. that was actually the zelda inspired game where he was trying to get something where it's like a top-down exploration thing where you're running around like in zelda and then i tried to kind of interpret the original zelda theme uh in my own way and hmm. it was it was really interesting to kind of deconstruct the um the original theme and just kind of figure out how it all got put together and then try to take that general structure and then make something new out of it. And I don't think I did the original justice, but I really (laughs) like how it sounds. What kind of elements did you notice in the original zelda theme um that oh and i have to remember to, yeah <laughs> um it had that uh very common chord progression the in the minor where it goes the the descending you know oh yeah one flat seven flat six five and um it it kind of plays a lot off of that but it, it goes all over the place and i'm still kind of new to music theory and and all this other stuff so i couldn't follow all of it but um i grabbed the midi data from you know some random website and i kind of spent an afternoon picking it apart and <laughs> figuring Ooh. out how it all worked and and i i kind of took various themes from that like the like the arpeggio like going up like halfway through the song What's your method for uh, doing chiptune music? Um, <laughs> it's it's complicated just because, like you mentioned in your blog post, chiptune music has to be not minimalist, but it has to be very aware of what it's doing. Like you can't have wasted space. And even though I did most of the chiptunes in Ableton initially. I, I tried to keep that in mind where I wanted to make sure that I was only using three or four channels of audio and only one drum would play at a time. So you'd have your kick hat, snare hat kick or whatever. So you wouldn't have layers of drums. A lot of this music in that album was fairly basic melodically. Like I, I stuck to the same minor chord progression with the one flat seven flat six and messing around with that. And like I said, I was still kind of learning music theory, so I was, I was sticking to the basics. But um, it's also surprising how far the basics can get you with that kind of stuff. Yeah. So when you're learning music theory stuff, like over this last year. What's been sticking out at you as the most helpful thing? <laughs> um, or... As far as like websites are concerned, I I mean, musictheory.net 
that one was really helpful and hook theory was incredibly helpful for oh, me. Yeah. That's I, uh, a cool site. Yeah. I, I love that site. Not only because you can just go in and, and it already has all these songs deconstructed for you. You can just kind of pick them apart, but, um, their daily challenge is incredible. I did the beginner challenge pretty much every, every day until I could hundred percent it. And then I did the beginner and the intermediate until I could, you know, more or less hundred percent it. And that, and that it those took me, challenges is it like you have to listen to something and yeah yeah figure out what chords you, are going on or yeah you're you're given a, a short maybe like four or eight bar um, melody with chords underneath it and you're tasked to pick out the melody and then in the advanced or in the intermediate um, you're, you need to pick out the melody and the chords behind it and even though the chords behind it are usually like one four five or some you know variation of that it's just it's basically ear training and i was surprised at how helpful ear ear training was when i was learning music theory just because then suddenly i can hear like well this is a five but it's not really a five like it's extended or maybe it's like a a flat seven with a you know yeah yeah so (laughs) so you didn't go to school for music i didn't i went to college for graphic design and visual communication so I grew up doing a lot of music, but I also grew up doing a lot of graphic design, like in Photoshop and web design and stuff like that. And when it came to time to choose a college, I uh, I went the route that generally gets you more money, <laughs> <laughs> which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I well, then you can support your hobbies. yeah, and I'm super happy with music <clears throat> being a hobby right now too, and it's becoming more of a career as I move towards more game development and. Yeah, music stuff for that. So, it's working out. It's yeah. it's just taking a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What has been the most fun game to write music for? Oh, other people might be listening to this. <laughs> um, I really like the Maker's Eden, which was uh, done by Screwy Lightbulb. Um, they just kind of gave me free reign about what I should do with it, and um, it's like this sci-fi noir set in the future with robots and all this other stuff. It's it's kind of rainy and gritty, but also kind of a real story. And the art is amazing. It's made by, like, this 17-year-old guy in South Africa. What really did fun. you do musically in that one? It's mostly acoustic stuff, like pianos and um, vibraphones and percussive instruments but there's also um a lot of electronic stuff kind of in a bed underneath it to reinforce the feeling of you know this isn't really just the 40s it's like the 2140s Really, the gameplay track is only like one song that's eight minutes long, but I made three different variations to that one song, so they can seamlessly be like faded into each other depending on the intensity of like the story that's going on. So it's the same song, like it's the same chord progression, but it's a completely different mood. Like one's fairly heavily orchestral. Other ones like really ambient. Mm-hmm. 
kind of can fade between these depending on the mood of the song or the mood of the the game which is which is pretty cool i'm glad that they gave me kind of free reign to experiment with that kind of stuff yeah so do you have them timed out like they're in the same rhythm when Mm -hmm. they fade yeah how does do you have it like all playing at once technically and then they're just in the game code i'm pretty sure that they just have three instances of like the audio playing at the same time and two of them are just set to zero zero volume and they just fade the audio between them depending on what they want so it it's a little more processor intensive but with computers these days you don't really need to worry about it yeah yeah we did that actually with the the game that i just released with Mm -hmm. these guys and the uh, game developer was kind of saying that two would be kind of pushing it for an Android. Yeah. So, but I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it would be nice to be able to do like a ton of layers going yeah. at once. Yeah, because then you can like just have this entire mood that's customizable by the program instead of by the you know the musician. You don't you don't have to rely on this one person to make one song for every mood. You can just kind of add or subtract whatever's appropriate for what's going on in the game. And I, I, I like that. I guess it's generative music might be what it's called. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I would love to do that in a game. Yeah. If I find the right software that would let me do that, where it's like basically like triggering MIDI notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder how you do that. Well, there's, well, no, I don't know. I mean, there's stuff in, in Ableton's max for live where you can, just randomly generate stuff and i know that there are programs out there that let you do it but i don't know how to interface those with like a game yeah that should be our goal after (laughs) (laughs) after this podcast figure out how what system actually does that yeah i don't i don't know and it might just be an interface thing too where it's just all you need to do is find the right interface between game environment and like software like music generator yeah yeah, I'm sure there's something out there. I would be surprised if there isn't. Yeah. I was listening to your Just Drive yes. soundtrack. Mixtape, you call it? Yes. Because I like that idea. It's like two sides of a cassette yeah. that you can play in the game. Yeah. Or... It's a game that was made by a buddy of mine, and um, the premise of it was essentially just driving around like in the middle of the night. He asked me to do a soundtrack for it, and I was like, the best way to do that is just to have a mixtape. and. Um, yeah. Because he liked that type of music, and I like that type of music. Kind of the retro-y, grun- not grungy, but just kind of, it's a beat-up old mixtape that's been in your car for, you know, the, the last two years, and it's all sun-warped and and messed up. And it was a lot of fun not only making the music, but then making the 11-minute tape, and then running it through a tape player a couple times, and then bringing it back into Ableton, and then just warping mm-hmm. it, and like adding it pops and analog cr- just junk in it and then making just making it sound like it was recorded off of old radio station somewhere while you were uh while you're driving around
one thing I thought was interesting in that one is your creative use of sidechain compression, like that swelling sound for people who don't know what yeah. that is. But it was like kind of on interesting beats. It wasn't necessarily always like timed with beat Some one. of it, yeah. And I mean, some <clears throat> of it was just part of the, the mixtape where I was just beating the crap out of it where i i wanted it to duck out at random times because it's just an old tape and it's just it's falling apart mm-hmm. um but yeah i i do like using sidechain with that kind of stuff especially when you're using it without the actual um trigger sound that yeah. makes it duck out so all of a sudden like the music ducks out and you don't really know why but then the triggered sound comes in later and then it all kind of clicks together and it's like oh well that's and then you can listen to it the second time and you're just like oh, i know what's coming and you know it, it all makes sense like it's it's cool to have something that you can listen to more than once and you can kind of gather new things each time yeah <clears throat> that's definitely a good psychological <laughs> trick yeah like, yeah it's like kind of rewarding people for listening more than once mm-hmm. so yeah what are the do you have any other kind of tricks like that that you do oh man to... probably <laughs> <laughs> i um that's actually a really good question i i don't really know like you kind of know what it's like when you get into that creative state where you just kind of do stuff and then you come out of it and just like what did i just do <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um I guess something along those lines that I started doing, Mm -hmm. and I mean, it's all over pop music, I guess, Mm -hmm. but like doing swells right before a big moment, yeah. like even just reversing a cymbal. Yeah, kind of just cueing people in on what's coming up next is is pretty powerful when it comes to the structure of a song. And um, one thing I've been doing lately in in some of my music is i've been blocking all of it out ahead of time where it's just like okay i want like eight bars of the verse and then four bars of a chorus and then whatever i don't do that every time but it's it's interesting to just kind of set constraints like that and then kind of see where it goes and in one of the songs that i did recently i was like okay this second chorus i'm just gonna have two bars of something completely different in the middle of it and then just go back to the rest of the chorus It's just creating those like constraints and then trying to figure out, okay, well, I, I did this to myself. Now, how am I going to overcome it? Like just t- trying to figure out how to flow around what, what you set up for yourself. And it actually turned out super cool. Like I, um, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I guess that's one trick is just to kind of constrain yourself sometimes and, and make sure that you don't have every option available because that'll just paralyze you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like I was, I've said before, probably with chiptune music, you are pretty constrained. Yeah. Which. Yeah, I uh, I moved most of the music in that album over to Famitracker, which um, limits you to two pulse waves, a triangle wave, and a noise channel, and uh, a sample channel. So you have 
you you can quote unquote install like an expansion chip to it that gives you like two more pulse waves and a sawtooth wave but um at most you're working with six musical channels and they're all monophonic that's what you got (laughs) so you just need to figure out what's important in the song and what isn't and um there's a really interesting talk that i heard a while ago and i'll try to dig up the link for you um but he was talking about how the fifth in a chord isn't necessary when you only have three notes. Like you want the first, the third and the seventh, if you want anything, because the fifth is just kind of a reinforcement of the first. And that's, that's really all it is like harmonically. So you want to use the notes, like the few notes that you have available to you to like accentuate the chord rather than just reinforce the, the tonic. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting because and yeah if if you do use a fifth and let's say you just use the first and the fifth Mm -hmm. like a power chord on guitar Mm -hmm. it's just empty yeah (laughs) Yeah, there's there's yeah yeah, there's no emotion to it you just have like all you're doing is except with more reinforcement to it Mm -hmm. So I, th- I feel like that has to do with the overtones too. Yep. Like it's just Yeah, I I don't know a whole lot about the harmonic series, but I know that this is like this the second overtone because it's the first one's the octave and the second one's the fifth and then it goes up to the next octave then the fourth, then I kind of lose track. It might be the sixth and then the next octave. Mm-hmm. But um the first note that isn't an octave in the overtone series is the fifth. So it's like it's already being reinforced in that initial note. Mm-hmm. So you don't technically need it because mm-hmm. it's already being there. And you'd rather have the third because that gives you the the tension or the, you know whatever. It mm-hmm. it kind of defines the note rather than just reinforces it or defines the chord. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is your favorite chip tune oh, track man. on that album? That's a really good question. I like uh, Sanctuary. That one was a lot of fun to write just because it was one of the few songs I wrote purely in Famitracker. So um, it was a very different experience because I grew up using Ableton and FL Studio and like all these super traditional, very graphical-based interfaces and then just moving to this thing that looks like programming code, basically. And um, just trying to figure out how to make something that sounds musical with it. And not only that, but with Sanctuary, I tried to make something that was a little bit more, um, not ambient, but a little bit more down-tempo and Mm. like chill, which is something that's very difficult at 150 BPM. But it's very interesting trying to make something sound like round and smooth when you only have square waves and like a triangle wave. Did you do the sound design uh, in any of the 12 of Les Milk's games? Or did he? He did most of it. 
I helped out a little bit. I think with re- like three red hearts, I did some of the, like the sound effects because it was just like a little arpeggio. Um, but most of the sound sound effects, like the old chiptune sound effects, I think it's bfxr.net or .com. It's oh, yeah. just this website you can go to, and it's just it's a sound effect generator, basically. You can just go on there and say, okay, I want a jump sound, and it kind of randomly generates something that sounds like that, and there's dozens of modifiers for that. Like, you can change the the uh, cutoff, the frequency cutoff, and the, the envelope for the frequency cutoff, and, like, all this stuff for it, and you can just really tailor it to whatever you want, and it's free, and you can export to Waves, so it's like yeah. developers can just do that themselves these days, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so... I was curious how your album is going this month for oh, man. the the national Na- national Na- solo album month or Naso Elmo, which sounds <laughs> it's a word. Um, <laughs> which is it's based off of National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo. So you know that challenge is to write a fifty thousand word novel over the course of November, and um, the the national. Solo album month is to write uh, 29 minutes and like five seconds of music or more over the course of November. And uh, where I did not, that number come from? It's based off of like one of the solo albums that the guy who started it really liked. Huh. It's like, well, this album was awesome, and it was 29 minutes and seven seconds or something. It's it's on the website, but um, I've had a lot going on this month, so I haven't had a whole lot of time to work on the, that album. But uh, I have a lot of good ideas, and I'm going to just keep at it. The The whole point of that, just like the NaNoWriMo, is to just start something. And it doesn't really matter if you finish it that month. It just matters that you start something and you keep working on it through that month. So like, yeah. last year, I made a, a super cool album that was stuff that I'd never really made before. Like, not really dubstep, but like heavier electronic music. And uh, it was a lot of fun just to kind of just be like... I don't care. It's like, <laughs> this music's not going to be great anyway, because, you know, you only have a month to do it. So it's like, once you stop thinking about how good something's going to be, it can sometimes be very good because then you're not second guessing yourself and you're not, you know, yeah, you don't have all that stuff flying around in your head being like, oh, well, this has to be perfect because I have, you know, it's like, whatever, it's just music. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. What What are you thinking for this month? <laughs> I usually um the November album is the only time where I'm super tight-lipped about what I do because oh, okay. I I find it's very fun to have an entire album that only you have heard. Oh. It sounds really dumb when I say it, <laughs> but um it's really cool to listen to something and be like nobody else has ever heard something like this. And then you can release it to everybody at once. Like usually I, I just go around and share everything I do on SoundCloud or, or whatever. So it you're is. not going to auction it off. Like <laughs> what, what was that rap group that like sold their album to one person? Oh really? Yeah. I don't remember hearing about that. They sold it for like millions of dollars. Well, <laughs> if I could get on that bandwagon, I would do that too. Like, <laughs> So I'm sorry I can't answer that question oh, because it's no, confidential. That's okay. That's that's okay. Well maybe let's see, your episode comes out in two weeks. That's still November though, isn't I, it? I well, and it's not gonna be done. Like oh, yeah. the, like this oh this album's not gonna be done probably until February. I have I have the idea and it's a pretty cool idea. And uh, it's actually gonna use a lot of quotes from your podcast. 
which oh. I need to talk to you about. about <laughs> nice. Not licensing, because I'm not going to make any money off of it. But Sure. Cool. Yeah, uh, and I mean, I can talk about it. I don't sure. really care. It's not... I um, I'm thinking about calling it creationism just because, like, the whole idea about creating things, I don't... The religious connection is not really there but it's just like it's creating things and being creative is not necessarily a religion but it's a very much a way of life and um it's something that's pretty important to me just being able to be creative and just being able to make things that's where your podcast quotes come in because they'll be sprinkled throughout because there's a lot of very good quotes about just people's thoughts on how to make things cool yeah well when you finish that We'll have to premiere it on the podcast or something. That <laughs> yeah. sounds cool. Yeah. I was going to ask you about your electronic track, Clockwork Friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that one. Oh, that thank you. Cool. idea that i was thinking of where i was going to write a bunch of songs and then also attempt to write a bunch of short stories i'm not a writer so i don't know really know what i was thinking but um just write a bunch of short stories to accompany those songs and kind of release a book with that with the songs like a cd thrown in there as well but um that was one of the songs that i wanted to put on there but i just couldn't realize the entire album the story and album idea is intriguing though yeah so you were gonna have them like listen to specific tracks as they read specific story parts of the story not necessarily um it just kind of goes back to how the music itself can tell a story and i just kind of wanted to tell the story that i had while i was writing it like um i think with clockwork friends it's set in the future where people can purchase robots or androids as friends or as like helpers or something like this. And a kid brings one home and it just kind of goes haywire. And uh, like his dad tries to fix it and it just kind of messes up the whole house. And um, the the crazy chiptune part at the end is just where the robots just going nuts, like flying around the house and just breaking things. <laughs> <laughs> kind of video game writing tips would you have for people don't overdo it when i when i started i tried to make songs like songs with distinct melodies and complex chord progressions and all this stuff and you want something to accentuate what's going on in the game you don't want to take over the game even something simple like a, a single piano note just repeating with you know the right effects and right reverbs and everything behind it that can be enough like the the intro to the just drive soundtrack that intro song is like it's super minimal and it was it was perfect for what he wanted (laughs) 
yeah, it's just making sure that you're not the center stage because you're not like you're you're there to accentuate what's going on on the screen. You're not there to wow somebody with like the crazy modulation you just did. Like yeah, and and there are places for that. Like there are places in games for that, but you have to work closely with the developer to make sure that you're not you're not taking the spotlight away from them. Yeah. <clears throat> And also, like, I feel like if you do too many of those really obvious tricks mm-hmm. after listening to it a yeah, hundred yeah. times. That's the other thing. You want to make sure that something doesn't get annoying when you loop it a hundred times because yeah. otherwise you just turn it off. And then they're not listening to music at all or they're playing their own playlist. And then yeah. all the hard work that you did and all the money that they spent for you to do it, it's kind of gone to waste. So. Yeah. That's like the test... Yeah, for composers like if someone <laughs> clicks the mute music yeah. button, yeah, it, I wonder if they track that in games. I, I doubt it, but they could. I mm. mean, it's it wouldn't be too hard to track. Yeah, but I don't want that because then they like t- tie it to your royalty statement yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, that'd be bad. <laughs> Speaking of that, do you know uh, how royalties work with video game music? If well, all of the people that I've worked with have been like small indie developers. So I haven't had, I know some lawyers out there, I haven't had contracts in the mm-hmm. official sense of the word. I've had like email correspondence between like, okay, well, this is what we're going to pay you. And I'm like, okay, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So it's like there's a paper trail, but there isn't really like a, a contract that's sitting on my desk. But um, usually when you're talking to indie developers, they're looking for something that's either like a buyout where they they just want the music and they'll send you like 200 bucks or, you know, a hundred bucks or whatever, or they're looking for like royalties. And when you want royalties, especially like a percentage, I would definitely look into getting a contract just because that's a relationship over the long term and things change, Yeah, <laughs> things change and you don't want to be caught in the crossfire with that. And talking about money sucks. Like, <laughs> And that's just that's just all it is. I I hate talking about money with people, but it's like the sooner you talk to them about it, then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Like if you don't talk about it until the music's almost done and the game's almost ready to go, and then you're just like, okay, what are you going to pay me for this? Like that's the worst thing to do, because then all of a sudden they're invested in this and you're invested in this, and you're just going to butt heads. But um, when the project is still fresh or when they're just hiring you on, just make sure that all that is taken care of as soon as is socially possible (laughs) because you just don't want to worry about that you want it to be over then you know what you're going to get paid and then you just do it and then you don't have to worry about it yeah yep i've dealt with that a little bit in freelancing yeah thankfully i haven't with the music but as a freelance graphic designer in the past it's it can be a nightmare because all of a sudden you've put like 30 hours into a project and you're just like okay what are, what are you going to pay me for this and are you going to pay me hourly or are you going to pay me a lump sum or and it's just all of a sudden it's this huge fiasco because everybody's invested in this project and nobody wants to pay you if they don't have to yeah so but i like your other technique um that you've done with three red hearts mm-hmm. where you have the normal album on Bandcamp for five bucks and then a version of it that's totally loopable Mm -hmm. uh, for 25 bucks yeah except all that has the licensing in it too so I was trying to find a way to not only sell the album as music like people could listen to but 
I mean, it's designed as game music. So I was trying to figure out a, a good way to generate some extra sales for game developers as well, because I think finding music for game development can be sketchy. There's, there's a lot of places out there, but they're not all super easy to navigate. And then if you go to like a licensing company or licensing website, then you have to deal with a third party and you don't really know the artists. And so it's like, I had all this music and I just figured, why don't I just make it a single loop and sell it as high quality, you know, wave format. So it's easily loopable. And then it's just completely licensed, so somebody can just go buy it and then just not have to worry about licensing something or contacting the artist if they don't want to, or it's just there, and it's theirs. Yeah. We were talking a little bit before about, like, you're having some trouble trying to figure out how to promote that to promotion uh, developers. Just promotion in general. Like, I've found Twitter to be a very good resource for getting my name out there, but it's slow going. And I, I, I think that most marketing is slow going. Like you can't just buy a bunch of followers off of Facebook or Twitter and expect you to be, you know, super popular because they're all bots or they're all people that don't really care anyway, if they're willing to give their account away for a couple bucks. So finding the right venues is really hard. And Reddit is pretty good with that, but they can jump on you if you start self-promoting too much. And then, you kind of lose all credibility and that's no good either. So there's like this fine line between um, promoting yourself and just spamming people and finding that is difficult. Um, With Twitter, I think the general rule is like 80, 20, like 20% of your stuff can be promotion and 80% is anything else but promotion. Yeah. I think I've had like decent success posting stuff on Reddit. Mm -hmm. As long as it's not like just, my music if it's like a blog post (laughs) yeah that's helpful for someone yeah yeah that's cool too but i don't know yeah i've posted blogs before and i think that it works really well it's just i always forget how much of an investment of time writing a blog post is but you're right that it's super valuable and especially if you have a lot of information to share um it's probably the best way yeah yeah and like now composer quest is like the number one google search for which is awesome composing podcasts <laughs> which like it happened pretty quick actually mm-hmm. surprisingly and i've I, I would endorse wordpress and like yeah just having a blog in general and building it up over time mm-hmm. can get you some random weird yeah uh, connections right, right now my blog's on tumblr just because i was just i just wanted something where i could write and yeah. uh, I, I realize that Tumblr isn't really the best for text blogging. It seems to be the best place to post, post images and stuff. But uh, Yeah. Well, Ben, since you are all caught up on the podcast now, you know about <laughs> our question chain. I do. Going. Yeah. I don't know if you've recorded another podcast since 103, though. Yeah. Because I listened to 103 today. <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, I have a good answer for this one. But... I guess I don't. Yeah, there's there's two in between, actually. Oh, there's the one that's coming out tonight, right mm-hmm. after our interview. Oh, nice. And then uh, Alex Ruger mm-hmm. is the guy who has a question for you. He's a film scoring guy. Mm-hmm. And his question is, how did you come up with the main theme for the last thing you wrote? I think it was Out of Time on my album that just came out. And 
the the premise behind it was like this clock tower clanging in the background and um i just tried to make it as fast and as hectic as possible without being really chaotic it's like one of those things in a video game where you have like the set amount of time to escape the building that's collapsing have a question for the next guest if there was one question to ask yourself in 10 years what would it be because i know if i met myself 10 years ago from 10 years ago i would just blow my own mind because like i didn't expect to be doing music at all back then um i i had it was a hobby it was something that i liked to do but it wasn't something that i did like every day in my free time and now you have how many albums out like Oh, man. I think my website has eight on it, or maybe nine. I've I've released three this year, possibly four if the one in December goes through. Uh, next year, I have at least two or three slated. What are your secrets for like having that good of an output, even though it's like your free time <laughs> sort of thing? I think I mentioned a little bit before, but just don't have an ego. Just make something and don't say that it sucks just because it's not as good as the last song you wrote. Last year during the November challenge, I wrote a really cool song in one day and I psyched myself out for a week and a half. Like, I was like, this song is great. I'm just going to do another one. It's going to be better. And everything I made after that was just terrible compared to it. And it's just like, I can't do this anymore. So it's like, I just could I just didn't do anything for a week and a half because all of a sudden I was like, "Oh, I'm this song is so great. How am I supposed to top that?" And you're not trying to top yourself. You're just trying to make cool stuff. So Ben, your other challenge here. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Intro theme. Yeah, I was I was talking to you about that before we started recording. And before I drove here, I came up with something really cool, and then on my way here, I realized it was like the first or second theme that somebody did, and um, I feel really stupid. <laughs> so I might have to make another one uh, when I get home because I can't just do the same thing, but I can play it. Yeah. It's pretty much exactly what he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, with a little different flair, though, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a little different flair. I might, um, I might try to recreate that in Famitracker because we've that'd talked a lot about chip tunes. Ooh, that'd be so. cool. So when you go from that to putting it into Famitracker, what's your first step? It really varies. Um, when I did the Save the City soundtrack, all I did was. <laughs> I started with that and I just made it sound as cool as possible because it had like all this modulation and stuff on it.
you can do some crazy weird stuff with the noise channel because not only do you have your like your kicks and your hats and your snares and stuff there but you can make these weird noise sweeps where it's arpeggiating between like the whole range of the the channel and Hmm. you can do some weird stuff with that (laughs) yeah well ben do you have any last tips for composers oh man i have a lot of them but they're all written down somewhere (laughs) um what's a good one um perfection is a mirage because you'll never actually achieve it but it's something to work for work towards Hmm. like um you're never going to write a perfect song you're just not and even if it's perfect to you it's definitely not to anybody else but that doesn't mean you should try to do it just do the 95 percent, and then just don't kill yourself over the last five percent because you can write another five songs in the time it makes that one perfect like nobody's gonna notice yeah (laughs) no i have i like thinking about creativity and like just trying to figure out how it works and it works differently for everybody but there's like there's definitely a mindset that you need to get in and i can't i definitely haven't mastered it or anything but it's just working towards that is very interesting yeah yeah <clears throat> there was a uh interesting study about this guy who had a stroke mm-hmm. and he was an accountant never did anything artistic it sounded oh, wow. like um, but when he had this stroke, he just started painting like crazy. <laughs> and uh, they realized that it was just like kind of one part of his brain that was more the judgmental mm-hmm. side was getting blocked. So <laughs> it wasn't telling him that his oh, paintings wow. were crappy or something. Yeah, it's a whole ego thing again. Yeah. It's just like you you don't have to tell you. I I think that everybody can make things like... Anybody can write music. And granted, I mean, like, nobody's going to be Beethoven or, you know, there are definitely different levels of it. But anybody can write music. It's just making sure that you turn off that part of your brain that tells you that it's not good. And it's that whole Ira Glass quote that was flown around the Internet like a year ago. Yeah. It's just your taste in music is so good right now that when you try to make music, it's going to suck because you know what good music sounds like. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, you just have to get past that yeah. barrier. But on the same token, I mean, that's where the, all that beginner's luck stuff comes from because people are just like, well, I'm a beginner. I can do whatever I want. And they do whatever they want and it sounds great. And then they're just like, okay, well, now I did this. Like, why did I do this? And why is this? And why can't I do anything as good as this anymore? And it's just like they start getting bogged down and all this stuff that that just slows them down at that point and they just need to keep that innocence is not really the right word but it's just like they need to keep that open mind yeah so what, do you do anything specific to prepare yourself to be in the creative mindset or i try but it's mostly just a quiet space just trying to trying to make sure that things are quiet or failing that just having my headphones on <laughs> it's like that works too you just need to be able to to focus and that's not always easy but yeah. you know and getting rid of the mental noise too yeah it, yeah noise. exactly and it's that getting into that um people call it a flow state where you're just reacting to what you need to do rather than planning what you need to do where you just like well i have this so what comes after this rather than just being like well i have to do this and then i have to do this um there was a coursera class called learning how to learn 
Hmm. And it was super interesting because it was talking about how there's like this open state for your mind and a closed state for your mind. And the closed state's really good at planning, but it's not really good at executing. I think that's how it was. And then the open state is not really good at planning, but it can execute, you know, really well. So you want to plan and then you want to execute and then you want to go back and plan and then execute. You kind of like want to bounce between these two states because you can't do both. Like you can't be producing a song, like doing the like technical production, like the sound design and then jump to like the melody and then jump back to the sound design. Like I... At least I can't. Other people probably can. They're probably better than you know, better than me on that stuff. But just being aware of what you need to be doing at that time, and if it's just like being in creative flow, then just let it flow and don't worry about how good or how bad it sounds, or if you need to tweak that reverb by you know another half a second or do any of that stuff. And yeah. um, I did a lot of my music via a mouse for a long time and that's not it's not intuitive like it's good for getting down ideas when you have no other way of inputting data but um just invest in a 50 dollar, 100 dollar midi keyboard even if it's mm-hmm. two or four octaves uh that has helped a lot yeah. and i'm not and the... something that has touch sensitivity too yes i've noticed like my electronic music mm-hmm. sounds so much better than when i was just using a MIDI keyboard that was all the same same velocity velocity yeah 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 and humanizing that stuff is is profound and I I think FL Studio has a humanizer uh, effect which is incredible huh. it's one of the few what things, does it do um, it shuffles it shuffles the the velocity and it shuffles the sh- start and end times of all the MIDI notes hmm. so it does a pretty good job but it's also random like sometimes you want to have the like you want to make sure that you have the the order of the notes in the right way and then you're getting down super granular and it's just easier to sit down and hit record and then just play it you know Mm -hmm. even if you can't play piano i i mean you you can you can play notes in a consecutive order you don't need to play chords yeah you can just play in the key of c all the time yeah just just (laughs) push all the white keys and you'll be fine yeah talking about humanizing things automatically I was just thinking it'd be cool to have a plug-in. I'm sure it exists, but like for rhythm timing. Mm-hmm. But bass. Do you remember when I interviewed the guy who made robots that played yeah. music? Yeah, yeah. He is awesome. Um, yeah, Patrick he was super Flanagan. cool. I, I watched those movies too. He was a he was a crazy dude. Yeah, <laughs> he was. Yeah. He was really cool. But yeah, he he was saying that he studied like recordings of professional percussionists mm-hmm. and where things fall uh yeah. on the beats one through four mm-hmm. and he was saying that everyone, everyone uh, plays closer to one yeah. yeah but the other ones are all a little more random mm-hmm. so it'd yeah. be cool to to have a plug-in and if any listeners know <laughs> and can tell me if it exists but to have um quantizing like based on with ableton the the groove window lets you do that a little bit oh Um, because i don't think there's a limit to the amount of measures that you can input so you can have a four measure you know whatever and as long i mean then you can have the the stuff jiggled around however you want and then you can quantize it to that rhythm Hmm. But it doesn't humanize it though; it just locks it to whatever rhythm that you that you set for it. So it's right. not perfect still. Yeah. Like it's not humanized; it's just set to whatever artist you you 
emulated. Yeah. You mean it's not imperfect. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Yes. Um, right. Well, Ben, it's been really fun having you yeah. on I've been looking forward to here. this for a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's been fun and I'm I'm glad that I can be a part of it. Yeah. But, Thanks for joining me for this episode of Composer Quest with Ben Burns. For more of his music, visit abstractionmusic.com. Ben and I were both at Gamers Rhapsody two weekends ago, which is a new video game convention here in Minnesota. We got to see a very cool music production demo by Rich Freeland, who made the music for Fez. You might remember him from episode 82. Anyways, I recorded the talk and posted it as a special episode of Charlie's Music Production Lessons. I thought I'd share a bit of it here. If you want to hear the whole thing, find episode 11 at composerquest.com cmpl. So now I'll get into the secret sauce for Fez, which is bit crushers on everything in different amounts. So there's generally, in most of the Fez tracks, there's a bit crusher on the master bus so that everything is being bit crushed in the same way to glue it together and then individual sounds will also have a bit crusher on them. So right off the bat you can hear that it's gotten a bit noisy and just by bringing the resolution down here to 8 to eight bits from 24 um, you're reducing the, the dynamic range and the noise floor is really going to come out and you're going to start to get that nice sort of when the sounds die away. Like if I let this die out, you'll hear it. Did you hear that? <laughs> Okay, so then probably do that. Maybe I'd mix this down a little bit so that it's not too much. Maybe mix it to 50%. And then if you really want to change the timbre of the sound, you can get into downsampling. I mean, and this is a pretty much already a Fez track, and you can just throw it in and it would probably work. It's not that complicated. Um, there is one other thing that I haven't done yet that I did a lot on, on Fez, which is uh, pitch LFO on everything. And uh, I use this plug, it's a tape delay plugin, and it has a, uh, it has a wow uh, effect. You guys know what wow is, tape wow, which is uh, you know pitch modulation that you might get in an old cassette tape. So I'm gonna dial that up so you can hear it. Kind of like that, but it's a lot slower. Smooth it out a bit. Slow it down. <laughs> 